We are continuing on with prayer and its priority, as you see from the back of your bulletin, and we've called this Part 2. Last week, we began a special series, if you will, on prayer. I've spoken on prayer, as others have from the pulpit as well, many times. But this is a special series in accordance, as I outlined for you last week, with an evaluation of the ministry and an evaluation that was presented at a church meeting, our annual church meeting, to be a priority in the ministry. And the goal is to seek to improve both our personal lives individually and the church's life as a body and as a whole as to our outlook on prayer and our understanding of prayer and the priority that it really should have so that we are people of prayer and our church is seen as a church that is a church of prayer. The mini-series that I have before you, just to remind and benefit all of us, is not exhaustive by any means as far as the study on prayer. That is not the purpose of the study. Uh, however, it will be appropriate for that which is our purpose and understanding, which is why I started with the priority of prayer. Uh, we, I've now broken it down as I've continued to study. I told you last week I wasn't exactly sure how it would all go. But in pulling it together to give you the concept of what the series is, it is the priority of prayer, which was last week's message and, Lord willing, today's message. And then I will have two other areas that I would like to preach on in relationship to prayer, and that is prayer and the house of God is the way I've entitled it. So it will be the priority of prayer, then prayer and the house of God. And then lastly... I think it would be appropriate, since we want to be seen as a praying people in a praying church, I've entitled the last area that we will study as prayer and the pleasure of God, because I think we will see that it is God's pleasure that we find ourselves praying as to why we pray and so forth. It is because it is the pleasure of God. So those are the areas, so you have some concept of where I will be going with the mini-series, and you don't have in your mind that it'll be non-ending or open-ended and so forth. So the priority of prayer, prayer in the house of God, and prayer in the pleasure of God. Last week, we started uh, the priority of prayer, and you see your outline is very similar. I've changed some of the wordings, uh, basically, in the outline. But we're looking at it in three areas, the relation to the Word, that is the Bible, the Word of God, relation to bearing fruit, again, I've just changed the wording a little bit, and then lastly, when we're dealing with the priority, in relationship to the Christian's warfare, the Christian's battle, the Christian as a soldier, I had it last week. But that, when we understand that, I do think it helps us to understand the priority before God. We did see the need, even as we remind ourselves in this text, the need for priorities to be set both individually and corporately within the church of Jesus Christ and within our own lives. We see it here as the apostles, the 12, verse 2, saw that they could not neglect the word of God. They had to set priorities. There had to be a priority to the word of God, that is the scriptures, to put it very simply, the Bible that you're holding in your hand. Their idea was that the top priority was to set themselves aside to that, but we also learn from verse 4 in the text that they were also going to devote, and that's where we were last week, devote themselves to prayer. 
So the top two priorities that they outlined for themselves individually and corporately for the benefit of the assembly at the time was that they needed people to be ministering to the Hellenistic Jews in their need and the needs of the poor and so forth. But the concentration on the leadership and certainly the concentration for the benefit of the assembly, as we pointed out last week, was the word of God and prayer. Let me put it this way to you, and we'll pick it up right after this, right where we left off so that I can continue to make progress and, Lord willing, finish this area this morning. And that is, first of all, let me remind us that the word of God is where we find or learn God's will. If you want to know God's will, read the word of God. It is still astounding to me how many talk about wanting to know the will of God and they don't read the word of God. If you really want to know the will of God, read the will, uh, read the word of God. That is where he has given us his written revelation and the things that we have to know and we can know are there for us which is why it should be a priority. But as we talk about prayer, we noticed already under the first point that there is a direct relation between the Word of God and our prayer life, or there should be. Prayer shows, as we just think about the word prayer, it shows our dependence upon God. The reason we pray is we're depending upon someone else, in this case, God. It is also showing our confidence we wouldn't pray to God unless we not only were hoping that he could answer, but we had the confidence that he has the ability to do specifically what he said he would do. And that's part of the connection again with the word of God. We pray because we show our dependence upon God and also it gives us and shows our confidence in God. It is the means, I said last week, I used the word power, it is the power or the means behind God accomplishing his will. And I know that's just a general statement to you and probably went over most of your head, but you need to realize that. The word of God gives us the will of God and the power behind God accomplishing his will is prayer. Why? Because God has chosen to use that means as we go before him and we pray. We also noticed last week that obviously then prayer must accompany the word of God and that the word of God and prayer go hand in hand. Why? We, we raised that question in a number of different ways last week. And the one I ended off with, and I gave you the three points, but we did not look at them, is where we'll pick up today. One of the reasons even Christians need to rely on prayer and one of the reasons Christians need to look to God, as we already saw, remember God is the only one that can open up a heart. Why is that so? And the three points I gave you was the natural man is blinded, Satan seeks to blind the mind, and even believers, though equipped with the Holy Spirit, are still dependent upon the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and mind to understand God and his will. So that's where we pick it up this morning, and let me just say a few things about each of those. Number one, one of the reasons, again, we have to pray and look to God, we might preach, I can open up the word of God, but the reason I need to pray, and I challenge you before you even come to church, you should be praying that God would open your heart. The reason we do that is, first of all, the natural man, that is, anyone who's alive physically, anyone who has been born into this world, is blind to spiritual things. I want you to see that. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This should be most familiar 
to many of you. And as familiar as it is to us, sometimes I think we fail to realize that. Even when we witness, we share our testimony, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, and then we shake our heads and say, why didn't they believe? It was so simple. Oh, what did I do wrong? Where did I fail? Where did I go wrong? You didn't go wrong. God has to open that heart. If you did what you're supposed to do and give the gospel, you have to rely on God. And the reason we need to pray, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 14. But the natural man, and that word man is generic, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He does not. And to put it very bluntly, you can go in the streets today and talk about Jesus Christ being the only way, the truth, and the life. Man thinks it's foolish. That's just one religious way. There are many religions in the world. There are. And none of them are right religiously. What is true is the word of God. And God, who is in control of all things, even your life, your very next breath is in his hand. He is the one who has determined the way of salvation. And the natural man in its natural state does not receive, he does not accept, he thinks it's foolish. That preaching, I read an article yesterday, that in reading the article, I read two articles and both of them, it was interesting to me that it appeared in both articles that I read. That in the article, it said that Christianity is primeval. That's what it said. It said that one of them was in relationship to abortion and the other one was in relationship to homosexuality. And it said, we need to get away from the principles of primeval Christianity. And their point is, don't talk about sin. Because in the mind of the world, the concept of the word of God, it is foolishness to them. It's just some old book that was written. My friend, you have in your hands the word of God. And the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. We are all sinners and we have come short of the glory of God. God is the one that has to open up and equip a man for salvation. For, and let me give you some quick examples. Go with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Just a few verses on this. But I want you to follow along. We think we're brilliant. We think we're intelligent. Really? Well, explain how the world got here. You can't do it. Not apart from supernatural revelation. Oh, you can philosophize. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there life after death? Explain it to me, if you're so smart. That's basically, I'm talking to man and kind, not anyone in particular here. You see, we think we're smart, and then we realize that the natural state, we cannot understand these things. Why is it that the planet just keeps... Uh, in space, why doesn't it just fall out of space? Well, gravity, obviously. Really? Explain it to me. Why do the planets keep going the way they do if we're so brilliant? Well, science explains. Oh, yeah? And they're still digging and don't have answers. You see? Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes. How many times have you quoted this? Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things where? From thy law. I can read the law, but what does the psalmist say here? Open my eyes, that I can really behold it, that I can comprehend it, that I can understand it. I can read it with my eyes, 
The natural man can hear that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him, but the natural man can't see it unless God gives him understanding. We need to realize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is part of God's plan. And God must give the insight that we might understand the wonderful things that God has prepared. Let me give you another illustration. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Many of you are familiar with the parables of Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. Let me just highlight a couple of verses to make it very simple. Matthew 13, 13. The Lord speaking says, Therefore I speak to them in parables. Why? Because while seeing, they do not see. They see, but they don't see. And while hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. He's using parables. They cannot see it. Who are this? The religious leaders. Go down to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see in your ears because they hear. Why? Christ opened their understanding. Look at verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see the things that you see and did not see them. That's even talking about believers, by the way. And to hear what you hear and did not hear them. It is very possible, first of all, for the natural man to see things, to hear things, and never understand. Thus, the Holy Spirit must open up. Thus, we need to pray to God for that. Secondly, again, just to cover the points, Satan blinds the minds. He tries to do that. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How would we know that Satan even exists? By reading comic books, right? No, it doesn't happen that way. We know it from the word of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, remember this? Well, I'll go back to verse 3. And even if our gospel, that is the good news. What's the good news? The good news for you, my friend, this morning is that while you're a sinner and have come short of the glory of God, while death reigns in your life, God in his love sent forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty and price for sin. That is the good news. And only in Jesus Christ is salvation found. He died on the cross, bore the penalty of sin, rose from the dead, victorious over sin, victorious over death, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, God says that a man will be given eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And he said it is only in him. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the truth and he is the life. No one can get to heaven but by him. There's the gospel in a nutshell. And notice what he says here though. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They don't even know it. Last Sunday night, I talked about the walking dead. They don't even know it. They're, they think they're alive, and they are physically, but they don't know that they're spiritually dead. But watch verse 4. In whose case, the God of this world, that is Satan, what does he do? He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? 
that they might not see the light of the glorious, uh, of the gospel, excuse me, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ, that's why he's the only way. He is the only one that God sent forth. He's the very image of God. Very image of God. And not only are they blind in their natural state, but we find out that Satan is very active, and that's Ephesians chapter 6. Why don't you go there for a moment? Ephesians chapter 6. Since we're going to go there anyway, into Ephesians. In chapter 6, look at verse 12. Where is our real struggle? Where is our battle? We'll come to that near the end of the message. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12. What's it against? Rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Where? In the heavenly places or in the heavenlies. What we find out in verse 12 is the battle, and this is talking about the Christian, I realize that, but is against principalities and powers. Satan is very active, and he seeks to blind the mind. So the natural man, first of all, looks at Scripture as being foolish. Secondly, he is blinded. What's it got to do with prayer? That's why we need to pray even as we preach. That's why we need to pray even as we share a tract. That's why we need to pray even as we present our testimony. Because we're talking to dead human beings. What do you mean, dead human beings? They're alive physically, but not alive unto God. And the presentation of the gospel is going to be foolishness to them. And unless God opens their heart, they won't see it. And not only that, that not only in the natural state, but Satan is very active in trying to do everything he can, sometimes even when you're presenting the word, to distract their attention, to get them off of the gospel, because he doesn't want them to see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And there's a spiritual battle, and it's real. I won't go there, but Jude brings it out very clearly in the example of Michael the Archangel, because even when disputing against the, with, with Satan, he himself would not take Satan on. He had a task to do, and he was concerned with the body of Moses, it tells us. And then when he, that battle was going on, he said, The Lord rebuke you. That is not my territory. My territory is to do what God sent me to do, basically, Michael the Archangel said. And he wouldn't even fight with Satan. He had to rely on God to take care of that. And you and I need to realize we need to be on our knees praying because sometimes we think we've been so eloquent with things, it's because of the things we've done and even because we've opened the word of God. Excellent. But to accompany the word of God, what I'm saying to you has to be prayer. And the third, so we must, we must pray for God to open the mind. We must pray to ask God not to allow Satan to hinder his word from going forth. Paul prayed that way. And thirdly, the one I gave you, even believers who are equipped with the Holy Spirit must rely upon the Spirit of God. Where is that? You're in Ephesians purposely. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Watch, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, Paul says, I too, having heard, watch this, of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are saints. Look what he says. In your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. He says, look, I've already heard you've trusted in Christ. I have heard that 
you love one another that the way you should. What does he do? Verse 16. I do not cease giving thanks to you, watch this, while making mention of you where? In my prayers. He even had to pray for believers. Well, how did he pray? Look at it, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, watch this, may give to you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's talking to believers. And he says, here's a reason I got to prioritize, if you will, prayer in my life. Because even as believers, I have to pray that God will give you wisdom and understanding and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, he's talking to believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Why? So that you might know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I believe that's why we sin. Because we don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. We don't have it before us. And Paul says, I'm praying that God will really help you to grasp that. Verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? We get into trials and we forget the power of God. Toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And I could go on just in that. Go to chapter 3 of Ephesians. Watch how he prays again. And in chapter 3, begins in verse 14, verse, down to verse 21. I won't take it all. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He prayed. And then what, did he, what was he going? That he would grant you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the walk, verse 17. Verse 18, that they would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. You see, here's my point. The point is this. With these three areas, the natural man can't receive it, Satan tries to blind the natural man, and even with believers who have the Holy Spirit, we must depend upon prayer. We must pray to God that God would open up our understanding. We can read our Bible. Haven't you done that at times? Read the Bible. You know the words. And then five minutes later, a trial comes into your life, and you fall apart. And there's no relationship between what you read and how to apply it and then if you don't pray and ask God for help, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. But the minute you get down on your knees and you connect prayer with it in a priority in your life, you begin to see how God works. And you begin to rely on God. Even in the passage that we read for our responsive reading, and I won't turn there, in Philippians, he says, I know, but I'm praying for you. I don't cease to pray for you. And every time I remember you, I give thanks, but I pray for you, knowing that what God began, he will continue to do. And he's praying for that in their life. Let me illustrate it to you with just a couple of quick illustrations this morning. Go with me to the book of Daniel for one minute. I want to illustrate the relationship of the word of God and prayer so that you see the priority. You can study the word of God, but you need to relate it to prayer. Before I go to Daniel chapter 9 with you, I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 6 to you, verse 10. Just one verse. If you know a little bit about the life of Daniel, he was a man of character. He was a man of prayer, and 6.10 brings that out. Watch. Listen to this. 
And when Daniel knew that the document was signed, and I won't go into the detail of that this morning, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had his windows open to Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God, listen, as he had been doing previously. Daniel was a man of prayer. And even when his life was threatened by a document there, he continued to pray. He saw the priority of prayer. So understanding he's a man of prayer, go with me to chapter 9 now, and I'll give you this very quickly. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hasuarus, of Midian uh, descent, who was made king over the king, kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of the reign of Daniel, I observed, watch this, I observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. Simply put, he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah. He's got the word of God. Does he connect the word of God to the priority of prayer? Yes. Verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by what? Prayer and supplications and fasting and sacrilege. Verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And he talked about, verse 5, we've sinned. And he concludes himself. We've committed iniquity. Verse 6. Uh, that was verse 5. Verse 6. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants. Righteousness belongs to thee. Verse 7. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, verse 8. To the Lord our God, verse 9, belongs compassion and forgiveness. What did you find in the book of Daniel? You know what you find in the book of Daniel? You find in chapter 9, he knows exactly what the word of God says, and this is it. You're going to be delivered. The nation's about to be delivered. And you know what he said? He didn't turn around and say, word of God says it. I don't need to pray anymore. It's just going to happen. It's because he knew the word of God that he was driven to his knees. And it became a priority. And the will of God is tied into the word of God. And the word of God is carried out by means. Was the Lord going to deliver the nation? Yes. Then why did he pray? Look at verse 17. So now our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant. Was he bending God to do it? No. God was going to deliver them. But because he knew God's will, it drove him to prayer, and he knows and realizes, a man of God, that prayer was the means through which God accomplishes that which he's going to do. And he prayed, for thy sake, let it shine. O my God, incline thine ear to hear, verse 18. Open thou eyes, thine eyes, and see. And verse 19, O Lord, hear. He's praying. And he's praying for his people and he's praying for himself. So just because you know the word of God, you don't eliminate prayer. That's my point. It still absolutely needs to be a priority. Now, I got two on the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm only going to turn to one of them. One of them that I had in my notes by the Lord's example was, if you remember, Lazarus. Was he going to raise Lazarus? Absolutely. What did he do? He prayed. And he said, Father, I know you hear me always. But he prayed anyway. Why? It was a priority. The one I want you to turn to is Matthew 26. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. You will recognize this, I believe, immediately. 
Go down to verse 36. We're in Gethsemane. Now, take your eyes off the Bible for a minute and look up here if you can. Was the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross of Calvary no matter what? Yes. Was it the will of the Father for the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary? Yes. Did Jesus know the will of the Father? Yes. Was anything going to prevent that? No. Now look at your Bible. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, verse 36, and said to his disciples, sit here while I do what? Go and do what? Pray. I'm going over there to pray. Now watch what he prays. Jump down to verse 38. And he said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then in verse 39, He's down there and he's praying. He fell on his face and he prayed and he said, My father, if it be possible, lift, let this cup pass from me. Yet what? Not as I will, but thy will be done. He prayed for the will of God. Did he know he was going to do it? Yes. Did he know what God's will was? Yes. But even in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you take the passage all the way down to verse 44, you'll see he does it three times. Three times. Knowing the Father's will, knowing why he came, he's driven what? To his knees. And what I'm trying to show you, it was an absolute priority in the life of Christ. You look at it time and time again, and you find him in the mountains praying. And he knew the will of God. How could it not be? Here's the point in relationship to the Word. We know how important the Word of God is. We preach it with all our heart here. We read it in our devotional life. But do we have the priority of prayer that goes with it? We should. That's the point. Prayer should be of utmost priority in our life. Read the Word of God, but be instant in prayer. And when you know what God's will is, pray anyway. And when you're in circumstances, pray for God to open up your understanding, to give you strength and so forth. Prayer was an absolute priority with the disciples, and it goes hand in hand with the word of God. Thus, I give you this. Knowing the will of God or knowing his word does not exempt prayer. It should, in my opinion, drive us to prayer. Let me give you that again. Knowing the will of God and knowing God's revealed word should not exempt us from praying. It should be the very thing that drives us to our knees and puts prayer as a priority in our life to see it come to pass. And if you want to know two other priorities, I'll give you a quick, before what's in your outline, two other quick points. It is seen in that God is simply waiting for us. And let me give it to you this way. Mark down James 4.2, I'll tell you what it says. I'll tell you part of what the verse says. He says, you have not because, why? You ask not. The reason you don't have isn't because you don't know. It's because you're not willing to bow the knee and ask for it. When you do, you'll get it. And part of the reason that we should have a priority is God has given us the mechanism of prayer and sometimes he's going to wait for you to do what you're supposed to do, and that's ask. And we know the practical situation of that. 
Any smart parent doesn't just give his child or uh, her child everything they want all the time. Some parents do, and you know what? That's a fool. But sometimes parents just wait. Oh, and they, they're ready to give certain things, but they're just waiting for that child to come and say, Mom, Dad, can I have that? Sure. Just waiting for you to come to me. Just waiting for you to show your dependence on me. Just We don't say all of that. We just say, sure, with a smile. We're glad. That's what God's doing. He's just waiting for us. And let me give you another one. It's in relationship to even what we prayed this morning. You talk about an election coming. Let me give it to you this way. Another idea we see the priority, it's commanded for the nations. And I'm talking about Israel and us. It's commanded. I won't turn to a familiar passage with, uh, with you, but for Israel, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, 7, verses 12 to 14, you know it well. If my people, help me, that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's in a context where God was going to answer. And he says, you're going to turn around, but if only my people, talking to Israel now, would humble myself in prayer, I will, let the, I will be there for them if they will just repent. He wanted them to pray as a nation. What about us? Well, you got an election coming up? Let me give you one verse. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, should be familiar. I asked somebody, we were in a conversation this week, and I asked somebody if they looked at my notes because they ended up talking about this area. But 1 Timothy chapter 2. Watch verse 1 and 2. I said I'd give you one verse, one text. First of all, then I first of all, then first of all. Does it sound like priority? First of all. Sounds like a priority to me. I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all men. Watch verse 2. For kings and for all who are in authority. You got that? Prayer should be a priority in our life regarding our own country, regarding our own leadership. And let me challenge you as a congregation. When is the last time, let me really get to the house, when is the last time you prayed for your town offices? God expects you to be doing it. When is the last time you prayed for your mayor? When is the last time you prayed for your senator, your representatives, your president? You see, one of the problems with our nation we talk about an election coming up, is we're not a praying people. Those of us who say we're praying. And God says as a priority, you be in pray, prayer for all that are in authority. You know why he says that? He tells you. Look at the verse. In order that you may have a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. You say, but the United States of America has anything but that. Have you been praying? Wow. Those are daggers to my own heart. You say, but there's sin rampant everywhere. It's not as peaceful as it should be. It's anything but godliness. Have you been praying for your leaders in your town, in your state, continuously, always? 
I won't embarrass anybody, but I'd be willing to say, starting with myself, if I asked out of this audience to raise hands how many consistently can even name the offices in their towns, name the mayors, name the senators and select selectmen and representatives, most of us could not do it. And how in the world are you praying effectively for them? My point, again, was to show you just how prayer should be a priority in our life. We don't even pray for the things that God tells us to pray for. Most of our prayer is centered around, I just got a flat tire, help me to fix it. I just had something go wrong, the dishwasher broke, the, the washing machine broke, my, my son's out of uh, line, my daughter's out of line, my spouse is out of line, help fix that, and we pray and we pray and we say we're always a praying people, and we don't even pray for the things that God's revealed that we should be praying for. Not that you shouldn't pray for those things. How many of us are praying for God to open up our understanding to the revelation of his word? Really give us some meat when we go in and read it. Pray in preparation for Sunday morning service. You see, the point there, obviously, is the priority of prayer. And next, it's in bearing fruit. That's the second one. You didn't even think I'd get to it, did you? The next one is bearing fruit. We know God wants us to bear fruit. Go with me to John chapter 15. I'm going to give you the last two points quickly. We know that God wants the Christian to bear fruit, but do you, in your mind, connect it to how important it is that you be praying in relationship to bearing fruit? John chapter 15, I don't have time to deal with the whole text. Let me give you three points from three verses in it. He's talking about his father being the vine dresser and the fruit and so forth. Watch this, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, end of the verse. Right? No. What's the next word? Ask. What is that? Pray. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you wish, and it will be done to you. So many miss that. It's not talking about asking for a Cadillac. It's not talking about asking for a bigger house. Uh, that the stock market would turn around so my assets would go back up to where they were? Not at all. It says if you're a Christian, you're abiding in me. You're saved. Secondly, if your word is abiding in me, in other words, I have knowledge of his word, then ask what you will. Why? Because you know you got the petitions. That's the same thing that First John says. You know you got it. You see, it's abiding in me. It's knowing my word. And then coupled with that is on your knees asking. On your knees, pray. So notice the progression, abiding, then the word, then asking. Notice the purpose, verse 8. By this is my Father glorified. What? That you abide in me, my words abide you, and you're asking. By this my Father is glorified. What is the purpose? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What happens in fruit bearing? What happens in praying? The Father is glorified. The believer bears much fruit by abiding in him, knowing the word of God, and praying. And it's also the evidence that I belong to him. And then verse 16. Verse 16. Jump down a little quickly. You did not choose me, but I, what? Chose you. And watch this. Appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain and he finishes it with that whatever you ask of the Father 
in my name, he will give it you. It's all wrapped up in prayer. It's all wrapped up in prayer. I chose you. I want you to bear fruit. I want the fruit to remain. Pray. 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 We all want to bear fruit. 1 John 5, you can mark it down. We know we got the petitions because we know the word of God. And we know that we'll bear fruit and God will do it in our life. It's connected. And the last one in your notes. The other reason we see the priority is prayer in relationship to the Christian battle, our relation to the Christian battle. I want to read Proverbs 21:31 to you, but you go to, go to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read Proverbs 21:31. Listen to this. You'll recognize it right away. The horse, I didn't even do too good at spelling this morning, but H-O-R-S-E, the horse, is prepared for the day of battle, but what? Victory belongs to the Lord. The victory comes from God. We need to remember that. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we know, I read to you verse 12, but I want you to see this. In Ephesians chapter 6, while the Christian is facing a battle, and finally he says, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We can't do it on our own. And then he goes on. And he wants us to be reminded of the fact that we're to put on all the armor. Let me remind you of this, fellow Christian. We're in a war every day. We don't think of it that way. We get up out of bed. We go our way. We go to work. We go to school. We go do what we have. And then we feel here and there a battle comes along the way. Wrong. Think of a soldier. I think of my daughter who's in Iraq, as you know. While she's in Iraq, right, and she doesn't get up one morning and say, well, maybe there'll be a battle today. She's at war. Her life is on the line every day, 24 hours. In fact, one, we were talking about that last night at one of the flock meetings. One of the conversations that we had, it was 3 o'clock in the morning there. What was she doing up? She was alert. She was on duty at 3 o'clock in the morning while other soldiers slept. Her and other soldiers were on duty. You have to be aware of that. We are in a battle, fellow Christians, a real war. We need to put on the war armor. We need to fight the battle. Too many Christians aren't fighting it. They're giving up. They're looking for the easy way out of everything. But what we see here, they put on the full armor of God, verse 13, and we're to resist. But you notice he goes on. God must give the victory, not us. Even putting on the armor... God must give the victory. And he says that we have the word of God, right, as the offensive weapon. Look down at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says this. Most Christians stop at verse 17. Look at verse 18. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. What he says is, get ready because you're in a battle and it's a spiritual battle. Put on the armor. Yes, use the word of God, but it's just like a soldier. That's why I went back to the text in Proverbs. You can prepare the hoss. You can get him in shape. He can be the strongest and the swiftest, and you can go into the battle with all the right equipment, but God's got to give the victory. 
And for you and I, we need to see that in our daily life, in our practical lives in our home, in the practical lives at work, in the practical life in husband and wife relationships, in the practical lives of the local church, victory depends upon God giving us the victory. And that has got to drive us to our needs. God, I've read the word. God, I've prepared. I've put on the armor. God, I'm ready to face the battles. Yes, here's another trial. Yes, here's another trial. Yes, here's another trial. But God, you're the one that's going to give me the victory. And I'll fight them, but you've got to bring it to pass. How do I do that? Get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and pray. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 as I wrap it up. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 12. Paul says, for this reason, also since the day we heard of it, what? That faith in Christ. Look at the first eight verses on your own. What does he say? We have not ceased to pray for you. He was driven with the priority of prayer even as he heard other people come to Christ. Why? He goes on. And to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, word of God, in all spiritual wisdom, application, and understanding. Why? Look at it, verse 10. So that you may walk, you might order your steps, you might live your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. He had to pray for others that way? Yes. Because the world is going to pull at us. The flesh is going to pull at us. The church is going to go under attack. Your personal life is going to go under attack. Christians are going to attack. It's going to happen every day. And you think you can face the battle on your own, even with the right equipment? You cannot. You must have prayer. Underlying and supporting it. So that you can walk Worthy of the Lord, verse 10, to please him in all respects. Look at how it ties it back in. Bearing fruit, there it is again, in every good work. And what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? For the attaining of all steadfastness and pain, patience, passive. Chris's theme today, joyously, joyously. And I've talked to you about that. Christians don't have joy. They're looking for the world to satisfy them. And only when circumstances are going right do you find joy in their face. The one that really should have joy is the one that's got the sword in his hand and his knees calloused by prayer and is in the middle of the battle who's able to say the Lord's the one that's given the victory. You see the scars. I'm getting beat up. But I'm winning the battle because of what God's doing. That's the way it should be for each one of us. I think you should have the point by now with the two messages. Priority of prayer. We've got to see it as a people. We've got to see it as a church. Is prayer really a priority in your life? Is it really in our church life? It should be. 
It's part of perfection. I will not preach on it at all, but in my closing, I'm going to leave you with a passage of Scripture. Listen to this. You don't even have to turn it. Just listen, because it's in relationship to Jesus Christ. And I, find it, I found it fascinating in my study, and I thought this would be the appropriate place to, to read it to you. I'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 5, listen to verses 5 through 10. So also Christ did not glorify himself, so as to become a high priest, but he was said to, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, just as he also says in another passage, Thou art a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And having been perfected, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Just remember what it said in verse 7. In his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplication with tears. The Lord Jesus Christ set the example. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. I know the studying, even on this first point, has been convicting to me. Father, our prayer life is not what it ought to be. Help it to be a priority for us individually. Help us even as we read the word of God and even as we study the word of God, help it to cause us to go to our knees, to pray, even when we know your will, to be drawn to prayer like Daniel was, like your son was. And I pray, Father, that as a church, we would see priority as a prayer. A prior, the prayer is a priority. Not just Wednesday night, though we should see that, but every day. That we would be driven to be a people of prayer. To be known as people of the word and people of prayer. And to set that as priorities for us as a congregation. And we pray that you would be glorified through it. We would bear much fruit for the glory of the Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.